May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here on this Palm Sunday. Um, we always read the Passion on Palm Sunday, and the Passion is too long to preach on. So as you know, it has been my custom to pick a piece of the Passion. Uh, we preached on Peter's denial, Joseph of Arimathea, the trials. I think once I preached on donkeys, and I still have donkeys that everybody gave me during that, after that one. Today I want to talk to you about Pilate. Big idea is when it comes to Christ, make the right decision. Sometimes there are decisions that, gee, if I'd only known then what I know now. You ever have that feeling? Alexander Graham Bell went to Western Union and tried to get them to take an interest in the telephone. And they said, no, what have we to do with that electronic toy? Henry Ford's lawyer told his banker, don't let Henry invest in the automobile. The horse is here to stay, but automobiles are a fad. Someone invented a machine that could make copies of documents. This person went to IBM. They weren't interested. They went to Kodak. They weren't interested. They went to a company called the Halloid Company. They were interested. They changed their name to Xerox. If I'd only known then what I know now. Mm. Well, Pilate has to make a decision today as well. In those days, capital punishment could only be carried out by the Roman authorities. The Jews could not execute anyone. There was an exception to that if if a Gentile went beyond the court of Gentiles in the temple, he could be executed immediately. That was the only exception. And sometimes emotions got the best of people. And in Acts chapter 8, Stephen is stoned to death. But that was just an eruption of emotion. It wasn't legal. The only ones that could carry out capital punishment were the Romans. This is why they have to go to Pilate to get, to get this done. So Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he goes through six trials, three Jewish trials and three Roman trials. The first Jewish trial is, is Annas. He's a former high priest. He's really the power behind the, behind the throne. The next trial is Caiaphas, Annas's son-in-law, who is the current high priest. And then the third Jewish trial is the whole Sanhedrin, that group of 70, the leaders of Israel. And they, at the break of dawn, they take him to Pilate. And Pilate really sees there's nothing here, so he's trying to think of a way out, finds out he's from Galilee and says, ooh, Herod's in town. Send him over to Herod. He'll take care of it. Herod wants him to do tricks, and Jesus isn't up for that, so Herod just sends him back to Pilate, and Pilate has the sixth trial. And finally, says, you take him. The charges were sedition. Um, he's trying to cause an uprising of the people against Roman rule. The second one is he's telling people not to pay their taxes. What did Jesus say? 
Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God's. They tried to catch him with, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And that's what he came up with. And then they said, and he calls himself a king. And Pilate interrogates him about that and realizes it's not the kind of kingdom that's a threat to Rome. It's some sort of heavenly, weird kingdom thing that Jesus is talking about. So he sees through all of this. He doesn't want to gratify them. He declares Jesus is innocent four separate times. And then Kathy asked me this morning before I left, you're going to mention Pilate's wife who also told him not to do this, right? His wife. So I will also say that Pilate's wife gave him a look and said, don't do it. Pilate was kind of over a barrel. He couldn't afford not to offend the Jews. He had a very checkered past. When he arrived in Judea, his headquarters is in Caesarea Philippi, not Jerusalem. And he goes to Caesarea Philippi, and he's talking to the person that he's relieving, or command there, so to speak, the governor. And one of the things that the guy that's leading us, now look, look, Pilate, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to have the soldiers, you're going to have the banners, you're going to have the poles. <laughs> Just don't have the image of Caesar on top of the pole. They'll go crazy. It's a graven image. They hate it. Don't do it. And Pilate says, uh, thank you. I'll, take, I'll make my own decisions. I'm in charge here. So he goes to Jerusalem. He's got the soldiers. He's got the banners. He's got the pole. He's got the graven image. The people go nuts. <clears throat> they follow him back to Caesarea Philippi, about 500 of them. And they're just making a lot of racket. And he says, go out there and tell those people, if they don't leave, I'm going to kill them. And when they hear that, they kneel down in front of his palace and turn their hair up off the back of their neck, saying, basically, cut my head off. Fine, do it. And he can't. So ultimately, they leave, and word gets back to Rome, to Caesar, what happened. And then there was an aqueduct. He, he built an aqueduct in Jerusalem, but he used temple treasury money to do it, and people went nuts. They rioted. So Pilate sends out people with a, with a robe and knives, and they're killing people. That gets back to Caesar. When he's in Jerusalem, he stays at the palace of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was in power when Jesus was born, and his palace is still there. And he put up shields in the palace along the wall with Herod's, with Caesar's image on it. They told him not to do it. Take them down. No. Word got back to Rome, and Caesar said, take them down. He is on very, very thin ice with Rome. Three strikes, how many do you get? Upon this, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself king sets himself against Caesar. They know his vulnerability, and they're playing on it. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, so what's he going to do? This is when he says, I know, I'll send him to Herod. He'll, he'll take care of it. Well, 
he sends him back. I know what I'll do. I'll scourge him to within an inch of his life, and they'll feel sorry for him, and then I'll let him go. That didn't work either. I know what I'll do. This is Passover, so there's a, t there's a, there's a custom that we release a prisoner. So I'm going to have Jesus, who raised people from the dead, gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb, mobility to the lame, water, the whole thing. And, and I'm going to, the other guy is going to be this guy Barabbas, who's this cold-blooded killer that everybody hates. And I'll say, pick one. Well, pick Jesus, of course. Give us Barabbas. And they give him Barabbas. Mm. This is when Pilate washes his hands and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. You take him and do with him what you want. He gave him over to be executed by the Jews. Never sell your conscience for convenience like Pilate did. It is always a losing proposition. It's a losing proposition. And many today avoid making a decision about Christ. But the situation is, that the deal is you can't ride the fence. Because in the end, our choice will be known and that choice will have consequences. All of our choices have consequences. So what are some things we might learn from Pilate and his behavior? The first is deal with past sins so they do not pull you to destruction. Pilate's past with Rome was the thing that got in his way. Pilate didn't rule the Jews. They ruled him. Uh, Wednesday night I read a little story in class. It was a boy that was given a slingshot. And he went out. He couldn't, couldn't hit anything. And he was kind of upset with himself. And he comes back. He's visiting his grandparents. And he sees his grandmother's pet duck. And he fires at the duck, hits the duck in the head, and kills the duck. He's terrified. He's horrified. He's afraid. He runs and hides the duck. Then he goes in the house. What he doesn't know is his sister Sally saw the whole thing. So that night, his grandmother says, Sally, could you help me with the dishes? Johnny said he'd like to help you with the dishes, Grandma. And then she looks at him and says, remember the duck. The next day, Grandpa says, hey, Johnny, come on, let's go fishing. Graham needs some uh, help here at the house, and Sally's going to help. You know, Grandpa, Johnny said he'd like to help Graham today. I'll go fishing with you. Remember the duck. A few days later, he just can't stand it anymore, and he confesses to his grandmother. Grandma, I've got to tell you, I killed your duck. She kneels down and she says, Johnny, I know you did. I was standing at the window when it happened and I saw the whole thing. I was just wondering how long you were going to let Sally make you her slave. And I wonder how long we let Satan make us his slave because of things in our past that we're afraid of and we can't let go of. And he is whispering in our ear, remember the duck. Remember, we need to confess and resolve. 
to obey God no matter what, even when it's hard. Hallelujah. What was that? Hmm? Oh, all is well. Also, be careful of social media. It will find you. <laughs> it never goes away, folks. The second thing is set godly goals, not worldly ones. What did he want? He wanted to stay in power. What does God want us to do? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things that you think are so important and that you need will, will come after that. Seek first the kingdom of God. So beware of pursuit of worldly goals, money, fame, success, powers. They don't give you what you need. And for the 88th time, because I like this illustration, you've heard it before, but it's so true. The bucket list, Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman. Morgan, Jack Nicholson, the billionaire, Morgan Freeman, the blue-collar guy. And the whole movie, Jack Nicholson's trying to get Morgan Freeman to do bad stuff. And Morgan Freeman never does it. At the end of the movie, Jack Nicholson is on the top of his penthouse. He's in his penthouse on the top of the building that he owns by himself on Thanksgiving trying to figure out how to open a frozen dinner by himself. Morgan Freeman is in a very modest home in a very modest neighborhood, but he's sitting around a table with his family around him with people that love him. And I think to myself, where would I rather be? Would I rather be the billionaire on the top of my, pen, my building in my penthouse trying to figure out by myself how to open a frozen dinner? Or would I rather be Morgan Freeman sitting with people that I love and love me? I'd rather be with Morgan Freeman. The world can't give you that. Another thing is determined to please God even if it means alienating people. Neutrality is impossible, and not to decide is to decide about Christ. The Bible is very clear. If we take a strong stand for Christ, we will alienate some people at some point. You just can't avoid it. If you're standing up for Christ, if you're standing up for biblical values in our day and age, you will <laughs> make some people very unhappy. At the end of his life, Louis Palau was an amazing evangelist on the par with Billy Graham. They estimate that Louis Palau spoke to, in his lifetime to over a billion people. And he said at the end of his life, no one will regret standing up for Christ. Nobody will ever regret standing up for Christ. And the challenges that we face today are numerous. You got the whole LGBTQ uh, tidal wave. Nobody hates anybody. But unless you celebrate it, you're not doing enough. Have the whole COVID business that took everybody by storm. And for two years, so many people on hold. Loved ones couldn't be with loved ones as they were dying after 55 years of marriage. All those things now that you look back on and you say, that really didn't make a lot of sense. And if you tried to say something, you got smacked down for it climate. Boy, God created the climate. I don't know if you know that. He's kind of running the show there. So I asked my favorite question to people, what percentage of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide? So here I was with a business owner and a politician, a local politician last week, 
And I just asked them, what percentage of the atmosphere is CO2? And the business owner says 50%. And the, the politician who makes decisions that will affect us if it comes to environment and climate says, yeah, that sounds about right, 50%. And I said, here's the answer it's that I got from David Dilley over here. He's the troublemaker. The latest surveys are saying and studies say 0.02. Two hundredths of 1% of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide. Let me say that again. Two hundredths of 1%. And of that two hundredths of 1%, 77% is natural and 23% is man-made. So all the car spewing stuff accounts for five thousandths of 1% of the atmosphere. And by the way, we need it to make it green. Photosynthesis, and it makes us allow, it makes us live because it creates oxygen. I'm just saying. Now, if I say that in a public place, oh, I just did. Some of you are going, you're mad at me now. You're upset with me. I'm just trying to say God created this to function, to work. You, we, by doing certain X, Y, Z things, we're not going to change the climate. That's God's business. We want it to be clean. We want clean water. I remember when it was in Pittsburgh. Um, oh, gosh, the river's up there. What was it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could almost walk on the water because it was so polluted. You couldn't swim, you couldn't boat, there was nothing there. And today, it's a marina because the rivers are all cleaned up because people care about the environment in this country. We really do. But we don't need to be as extreme as some want us to be. I look at what's happening about Florida. Florida is trying to stand up for what I believe is biblical truth with the parental rights bill, not the don't say gay bill. It doesn't say that. It's not what it's about. Nobody's against gay people. But it's basically saying from K3 through third grade, we should not be talking to young people about these issues of sexuality and gender. That, comes, that can come later. Now, the mayor of New York is doing a multi-million dollar campaign in Tampa, Jacksonville, West Palm, Orlando, and Miami, encouraging people to come back to New York because we don't like gay people here. That's not true. I'm not sure how successful that campaign will be to have people go from Florida to New York, but we'll see. Um, the latest thing that, that I heard, if this is uh, true in New Jersey, they have a second grade curriculum they're introducing. It's called red, it's called blue, pink, and purple. Blue, pink, and purple curriculum. And it talks about gender identity with seven-year-olds. And what they're saying is, if you have boy parts, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a boy. If you have girl parts, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a girl. You could be neither non-binary, or you could be both gender fluid. You're seven years old, and they're talking to you like this. It's insane. 
it's evil, it's immoral, it's, it's not biblical, it's ungodly. And if people stand up and speak against it, they hate children. No, I don't. I love children. This is wrong. And more people need to stand up and say it's wrong. Parents up there, I think, are going to begin to stand up and say it's wrong. But if you stand up for Christ, you will alienate people. You will make people unhappy. Thank God for Grace Christian School. <laughs> There's just so many things I could go on, but I'm not. Do not compromise your conscience, even if you think it will bring you what you want in life. What did Pilate want? He wanted peace. He just wanted it to go away, leave me alone. But it wasn't going to be that way. He bowed to the leadership and scourged Jesus, thinking it would satisfy the Jews. It did not. Once you give in to the mob, you have lost. It's never enough. Pilate found that out the hard way. I'll tell you, somebody else who's finding that out is the president of Disney. The president of Disney. And now it's not enough. It'll never be enough. And now he's alienating his base. He doesn't know what to do. I love, the, I love the president of Goya Foods. When Trump was president, Trump did something that was good for the Latino community, and the president of Goya came to the White House and spoke and thanked the president. Then people wanted to boycott Goya Foods because he had said something nice about Donald Trump. And what happened was people were going to Publix or the grocery stores and going, you have a Guga Guga food? Googie. What's Guga food? I, know, I, don't know what, I, didn't, I don't know what it is, but I want it. Goya, Goya, they never heard of it, but they wanted to buy it. Same thing happened with Chick-fil-A. Same thing happened with um, Hobby Lobby. They stood up for what they believed. Hobby Lobby says, in our insurance plan, we are not giving abortifacients to our employees. And they got pilloried for it, but business went through the roof because they stood up. And I think if more people would stand up, it would be a better place. There are so many ministers that don't stand up either. Churches today are being very silent about these things. And again, people say, why are you so political? I'm not political. These are biblical issues that need to be addressed by God's people. And we do that by running for office. We need people to run for the school board in Marion County, city council, hmm? county commission. We need people to vote, to inform themselves, to be informed voters, to put people in office that can make good, godly, biblical decisions that will affect the community in which we live and beyond. This is really, really important. Pilate tried to please people, and it didn't work. If we try to please people in these ways, it never works. The most important thing today is about Jesus. So today, whether you were ready or not, you've had an encounter with Christ. And perhaps like Pilate, you didn't even plan on it. You just thought it would be nice to go to church. But Jesus stands before you and confronts you with your need to repent of your sins. It's not enough to pronounce Jesus not guilty and get on with your life, as Pilate wanted to do. You must come to grips with what with who he is, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him.
as the risen Lord exalted to the right hand of the power of God. He is coming, the coming king who will judge all who reject him. You can't dodge him. When it comes to Christ, neutrality is not an option. Kathy and I read a devotional every morning, more than one, but this is called On This Day. And this was March 30th. It's called Stand Up for Jesus. Dudley Ting served as his father's assistant at Philadelphia's Church of the Epiphany and was elected its pastor when his father retired in 1854. He was only 29 when he succeeded his father at the large Episcopal Church, and at first it seemed a great fit. But the honeymoon ended when Dudley began vigorously preaching against slavery. Loud complaints rose from the members, resulting in Dudley's resignation in 1856. He and his followers organized the Church of the Covenant elsewhere in the city, and his reputation grew. He began new time Bible studies at the YMCA, and his ministry reached far beyond his own church walls. Dudley had a burden for leading husbands and fathers to Christ, and he helped organize a great rally to reach them. On Tuesday, March 30, 1858, 5,000 men gathered. Dudley looked over the sea of faces and declared, I would rather this right arm were amputated at the trunk than I should come short of my duty to you in delivering God's message. Over a thousand men were converted that day. Two weeks later, Dudley was visiting in the countryside watching a corn thrasher in the barn. His hand moved too close to the machine and his sleeve was snared. His arm was ripped from its socket, the main artery severed. Four days later, his right arm was amputated close to the shoulder. When it appeared he was dying, Dudley told his aged father, Stand up for Jesus, Father, and tell my brethren of the ministry to stand up for Jesus. Reverend George Duffield at Philadelphia's Temple Presbyterian Church was deeply stirred by Dudley's funeral. And the following Sunday, he preached from Ephesians 6 about standing firm for Christ. He read a poem he had written inspired by Dudley's words, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. The editor of a hymnal heard the poem, found appropriate music, and published it. Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus soon became one of America's favorite hymns, extending Dudley's dying words to millions. And we will sing that instead of our closing. We'll sing Stand Up for Stand Up for Jesus um, as we go out today. It's time to stand up for Jesus. And I'm praying that this Holy Week, as we enter into this time of reflection and this time of meditation, that we will um, move into that spirit that's going to give us courage to do what needs to be done as we face the challenges that are coming our way in our culture. Amen.